we are looking at this section in Luke 17, where he's talking about uh, the, something. I think his second coming. Because he says in 22 to 25, it's going to be obvious. You're not going to have to look for him somewhere. It'll be like the lightning. You're going to see it everywhere. It's going to come at an ordinary time. Everybody's going to be doing normal stuff, and his coming will be sudden and uh, unexpected. And then you've got this section on the proper attitudes toward it. Um, He says in 31, on that day, the one who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. Mm. Likewise, the one who's in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. 31 in and of itself lends itself a lot to the idea this was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem because you've got instructions like that later on and, uh, well, like in Matthew 24 and so forth, that if you saw the abomination of desolation in the holy place, get out and don't even try to take anything with you because you've got to flee now. But here, my suggestion is, this is kind of a proverbial statement. And in this case, is being used not literally, but symbolically. Obviously, you know, how are you going to take something with you when the Lord returns anyway? But when he says, remember Lot's wife, and whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, looks to me like he's not just saying, hey, they're coming fast, you're going to have to get out without grabbing something, because, you know, it's if you wait any time, they'll have Jerusalem surrounded, and then you won't be able to get out. It looks to me like this is not just a practical, you know, warning. Kind of like saying... Uh, you know, if your house is on fire, don't grab anything because, you know, if you do, you're liable to not get out. But this is more saying don't be attached to worldly things. What was the problem with Lot's wife? Her problem was she wanted to be in Sodom. She longed for Sodom. She was she was attached to Sodom. And she looked back, not because she'd never seen fire and brimstone before and she wanted to know what it looked like. She looked back because she was so you know, tied into Sodom and couldn't bear to let it go. Same way in 33, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. I think is the idea when we are so focused on what we have here and and our life here and, and our, our mindset is on clinging to this life, then we're going to lose our true life. Because we're focused on this life. So I think his idea is the mindset we've got to have to be prepared for the Lord's return is one where, you know, we don't care about worldly things. And we're not attached to those things. And we're not looking, you know, with longing toward the world. That's my take on that section. We'd at least talked about that a little bit, but I don't know that we'd said everything we wanted to say about that. And I realize that's the challenging section from my viewpoint, that this is the second coming. Thoughts and comments. Does that relate to 22? And he says, you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be that they're going to really want the Lord to be there, the Lord to return. And that's that's a proper longing. Except, you know, it's not going to be when they want it to be. You know, we're going to want the Lord to come back, but, you know... 
And maybe even, I think he's worried they're going to be deceived in the thing, the Lord's come back, but he's just done it secretly. And he's saying, no, that won't be like that. That's what I see. I mean, either way, you know, 22 is not that much different. Interesting that there are those today that say that exact thing. He came back and nobody... Nobody knew it. <laughs> right. And, and plenty who say he's going to come back secretly and only the, those that are raptured will know about it and everybody else will just know it whenever so those people vanish. You know, which is not at all the picture I get from passages like First Thessalonians 4 with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Sounds like it's not going to be a quiet spectacle. Well, how about 34 to 37? tell you on that night there will be two men in one bed and one will be taken and the other will be left there will be two women grinding at the same place one will be taken and the other will be left two men will be in the field one will be taken and the other will be left and answering they said to him where Lord and he said to them where the body is there also will the vultures be gathered so you've got this also in the second part of Matthew 24 which you know, most of us agree is talking about the second coming. And I think his point is, when Jesus comes back, there are going to be people who are very externally similar, but their destinies will be totally different. You know, here are two people, you know, in one bed. You know, maybe we're thinking of husband and wife here. Uh, we got two women grinding at the same place, two men in the field. <clears throat> you know, doing the very same thing as far as their job is concerned. But there's this division. You know, one's taken, the other left. Challenging to know ta- which one's taken and which one's left. Um, maybe taken like Noah into the ark, taken like Lot to the mountains, taken to salvation. The other one left to like Sodom, left like the world, left to destruction. You could interpret that the backwards as well. So I'm not sure about that, but the point is, you know, the second coming is going to divide people who are otherwise similar. We tend to almost overrate external similarities. I mean, you'd start knocking on doors and inviting people to study the Bible and somebody would say, well, my wife's a Christian. Or, you know, my grandfather was a preacher. You know, things like that that are like, well, so, yeah, great, but, you know, that didn't really help you. Uh, and then they answered and said, where, Lord? He said, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. <laughs> well, that's true, right? You ever seen, you know, the buzzards and the vultures circling? What do you know? Something's dead. There's a body there, and it's not alive. <laughs> Yeah. So where the dead body is, that's his point. And so I think his point is the judgment is to come on those who are dead, spiritually dead. And the vultures are going to come and, uh, you know, uh, destroy him. So that's, that's just kind of a, uh, almost a proverbial judgment kind of a statement. You've got a lot of that. And I think one of the challenges uh, in Luke 17 is real, realizing these are a lot of these are proverbial statements that can apply in different contexts. You know, I, maybe it's worth saying this. Matthew 24 is the passage where at least through verse 34 it all happened within ge- that generation. Then I think there's a transition toward the second coming. 
Most brethren agree, but those who don't argue Luke 17. Because Luke 17 is apparently talking about one event, either the destruction of Jerusalem or the second coming, but it uses language from both halves. And therefore, it would make you think that both halves in Matthew 24 were talking about the same thing. My answer back to that is, it's using proverbial statements that are applicable both to the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming. And Jesus does that a lot. 30-some years ago, I worked on this a lot. I came up with a list of proverbs of Jesus. Proverbial type statements that are used in different contexts. I've got that somewhere. But statements like, a disciple's not above his master. A slave's not above his master, a disciple's not above his teacher. How is that used? When you when I say that, you know, a slave's not above his master, a disciple's not above his teacher, what is that what do you what passage do you think of? In connection with what? Do you think of anything? Well, what, how's that used? used with next to the blind leading the blind? And... Yes. So a disciple will not be more advanced than his blind teacher. That's in Luke 6. But what else? How else do you, is it used in the New Testament in the gospel? It's enough for you to be like your teacher? Does he say something like that? Yes. In connection with... I'm assuming a good teacher, like maybe himself. Okay, yeah, like in John 13. I washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. The disciple ought to be like his master. You know better than I am. But it's also used in Matthew 10. Uh, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. The disciple's not above his master. Three totally different ideas. As far as application of that proverb. Very clear ones. That's one of the clearest ones because all those three applications I think are very clear in the context. And, but there's several others like that that are proverbial type statements that are used <clears throat> in just very different connections. Um, you know, don't hide your, don't hide the light. You don't put the lamp under the bed. <laughs> What's that used for? That idea. Well, one, don't hide your own example. But secondly, it's used for the the word of God. You don't put it under the bed. You gotta you gotta see by it. You know, read your Bible, and uh, so forth and so on. All right, anything you want to say about Luke seventeen? That's probably all I should say about it. Did we say like what the body represents and what the vultures represent? I think the body represents those who are spiritually dead, and the vultures represent the judgment that's coming against those who are dead. I think it's a weird question when they ask where. <laughs> Good point. How does that even, you know, he's talking about this abstract things, and they're like, where? <laughs> well, I would have said when. Yeah, or what, I would have said, what are you talking about? <laughs> are you talking about the destruction of Jerusalem? Yeah, that would have been a better question. That would have been helpful, wouldn't it? <laughs> if he had answered it. He probably wouldn't have answered. But he probably would have said where see, the body is. Yeah, I almost see that. You know, it may have some other meaning within that, but it's almost like when he said, you know how to read the signs of the time, when the, you know, when the sky is red or whatever you say, it's going to be such and such. I see this as the same way. 
it's going to be obvious. When you see vultures, you know where the body is. That's how mm-hmm. you're going to know where where this takes place because it's going to be an obvious sign, like the lightning. You know, it's it's going to be visible and unmistakable. So when they're saying where, he's like, well, you just watch for the obvious signs and you'll know where. Uh-huh, yeah. Do you think this is the same conversation as Matthew 24? I don't, because Luke 21 is the same conversation as Matthew 24. So he just said that where the, corpse, where the, where the body is there, the vultures will be also born once? Yes. <laughs> 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 he liked that. <laughs> How could he say it more than once? It's Matthew 24, 28. Well, I no, I found it there. Where else is it in Luke? Well, Luke... Matthew 24's parallel is Luke 21. He doesn't have that statement in Luke 21, but Luke 21 is the parallel to Matthew 24. He says lots of things like that several times. I'll have to excavate sometime my Proverbs of Jesus. Uh, uh, there, I found ten of them, I think. Not counting ones here uh, to illustrate with. Some of them are clearer than others. But some of them are pretty striking, pretty like... Huh. Because they're often those little obscure things Jesus says. That we're not really sure what they mean anyway. So they're a little difficult to interpret in context sometimes. You think about, this is a little different, but it's a similar idea. Is leaven good or bad in the Bible? A little leaven leavens the whole lump, but the kingdom of God's like a little bit of leaven that she puts in the dough. Is lying a good or bad thing in the Bible? Well, Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah, and the devil's like a roaring lion. You know, you can use, that's not really a, a proverb, but just, just a figure or a comparison. It can be either positive or negative. So, you know, you've got things like that that can be used in varying contexts. Well, how about 18, 1 to 8? 